right, good morning. Everybody doing well today? All right, I want to know the truth. How many of you got out of bed this morning and said, it's cold out there, it's rainy out there, I think I just want to stay home today. Anybody like that? All right, reminds me of an old story. You've probably heard it many times, but a gentleman got out of bed one morning on Sunday morning, and he looked at his wife, and he told her, he said, you know, it's cold outside, it's warm in here, and I I just don't want to go to church today. And she said, no, you need to get up and get dressed and go to church. And he kept on, he kept coming up with excuses, and finally he said, I don't want to go to church today. There's nobody there that even likes me. Why would I want to go? And she said, you need to get up and go because you're the pastor. And so uh, he got up and went. But uh, anyway, I'm glad I'm not that way. I love coming to church on Sunday mornings. I love getting together, and I hope that you are glad that you came today. It's nice and warm and dry in here, uh, no matter what it's doing outside. And our prayer today is that God would just use this time to speak to our hearts, to show us what He would have us to see as we dive into His Word today. As Lance said, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews Uh, chapter 12. We're also going to be referencing back a little bit into uh, chapter 11. Not much, but a little bit. Uh, We'll look at that. We've been in a series of messages over the last several weeks, uh, taking a bird's eye view of the book of Hebrews. And I think it's very important in the book of Hebrews that we do that because as you look at it from beginning to end, you really get a great picture of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue on with that this morning. In my opinion, there is no other book in the New Testament that integrates the gospel of Christ with the Old Testament better than the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews is relentless in his effort to show us that Jesus is greater than all of the Old Testament prophets. Now keep in mind that the people that were living in this day, they knew the stories of the Old Testament prophets. This was their ancestry that uh, had come up, and they knew everything about the Old Testament prophets. It would have been what they would have studied, what they would have known. And so for somebody to come in and say, there's someone greater than even Moses, that was a powerful statement. That was a bold statement. And I'm sure that there were a lot of folks that didn't buy into this that were upset about a statement like that. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is greater than all of the Old Testament prophets. He also shows us that Jesus is greater than all of the angels that are in heaven. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the high priest. And as we saw last week, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is greater than any other sacrifice. All the sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament, Jesus is greater than all of that. And so as the readers back then would have read this and understood this, we need to read this and understand it today because it is the most important message that we can receive, that Jesus is greater. Now, there are two major themes as we uh, studied the book of Hebrews. One is the supremacy of Christ, and the other is perseverance in Christ. So what do we do with all these things? We understand that Christ is greater. We believe that. We trust that. We know that Christ is greater. But how does that apply to me today? How do I live my life today? How can I have perseverance in my life knowing that Jesus is greater and my life is surrendered to him. That is what we're going to dive into today. That is what we're going to look at this morning. 
How many of you have ever had a time in your life where you just felt like giving up? You just, not in life overall, but in the project you were doing. I, I just can't keep going with this. I got to stop. Well, first part of this week, uh, Shane and Lance and I went up uh, to the mountains in New Mexico, and uh, we were doing some sermon planning for next year. And Tuesday morning we get up, and it's nice and cool Tuesday morning, like around 30 degrees. And that air was cold in your lungs. And I went out on the front porch. I had a coat on, and the cabin there is is not at the top of the hill, but it's not at the bottom either. And there's some roads that you can walk around. And I thought, man, it feels so good out here. It's so nice. I'm going to take a walk, and I'm going to walk down the hill, and I'm going to walk up and back around, and I'm just going to enjoy the morning. So I take off down the road, and going downhill was great. I, I thought, man, this is such a nice walk. It feels so good. And then I start to turn up the road that comes back around the backside. And I get about, it's not even halfway up that road. And I realize this road is steeper than I thought. And I am breathing in that cold air that is now burning my lungs. And I realize that this is not good for a guy like me to be doing something like this, right? And so I, I think, man, I, I want to turn around. I want to go back. But then when I look to turn around, it's going to be downhill a little bit. But then I got another uphill climb. So what do I do? I just keep right on going and I get up a little bit higher and I think, man, I got to call somebody to come pick me up. But cell service up there isn't that great. So I thought even if I could get a hold of them, they're just going to laugh at me and make fun of me that I couldn't make it up this hill. So I turn and I start going up another road that's a little bit steeper. And I think, man, if a bear's hungry, now's the time. I couldn't even run from him if I wanted to. So come on, bear, come get me. Fortunately, I didn't see a bear. And finally, I get to the top. And now it's a nice steep road down to the cabin. But I just stood there for a few minutes. And I thought, I am so glad I did not give up. I am so glad that I did not turn around and go back the other way. I'm glad that I made it. Then I walked down that little steep hill and got inside the cabin, and I looked at Shane and Lance. I said, if I ever do anything stupid like that again, it's your job to stop me. Well, I didn't feel so bad a little bit later because Lance went for a walk. You know, Lance is young and healthy. Well, he just walks down the first one that's not very steep and turns around and comes back, and he is so out of breath when he comes back that I thought, I didn't do so bad after all. So I think I'm in better shape than Lance. That's just what I'm going to say. My story, I'm sticking with it. But there's times in life where we look at it, you know, in the situation around us, circumstances around us, we think, is it worth going on? Is it worth going down this path? Is this the direction that I really need to go? And Hebrews was written to a group of people that were tempted to turn back. They were tempted to give up. They were tempted to return to their old ancestral faith rather than following Jesus. To the laws of Moses to the old sacrificial system. They were tempted to turn back to that. And you know why? I think it's easy for us to turn back sometimes because we want to be where things are familiar and not where things are going that we don't understand, we don't always know. And I want you to understand this, that sometimes following Christ is not easy. Sometimes following Christ takes us into areas that are unknown to us that are not familiar to us, but I can tell you this, if you don't quit, if you keep going, and you get to the top of that mountain, the view is incredible. 
of what God is doing. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling them, don't give up. Don't turn around. They were facing uh, intense pressure as they followed Christ more, as they identified with Jesus. And they were starting to face increasing persecution. They were tempted to turn back. For those that were tempted to abandon Jesus, he makes it very clear that don't turn back because you need to understand that there's no other way. Now that Christ has come, there is no other way. As a matter of fact, Jesus said himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is wanting them to understand. Don't turn back because Jesus is greater. He's greater than all that stuff that you're familiar with. And not only is he greater, but he is the only way to get to the Father. So it's worth it to keep on, worth it to follow. I think also there were some people there that were just testing out the waters, if you would. They're checking out who Jesus is. And they're looking at that and they're seeing other believers and they're struggling, having some persecution. And they're probably thinking, "Uh I don't want any part of that. I want to turn and I want to go back to what I know, what I'm familiar with, what is easy and what is comfortable. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Look to Jesus because he is the only way. Now keep in mind that before Christ came into the picture, the Jews lived under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, they, they had to do continual sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And once a year, the high priest would go into the temple, he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then he would pray for himself for the forgiveness of sins. And then he would pray for the forgiveness of the sins of everyone else. Now the problem with this is, is that was temporary. That had to continue on and on. There had to be continual sacrifices. And every year, the priest would have to go back in to the Holy of Holies and do the same thing and and ask for the forgiveness of sins. However, we now live under the new covenant. That was the old covenant. There's a new covenant. By the way, let me just say this. Some people get a little bit confused. What was the old covenant? What was the new covenant? Here's an easy way to remember it. Old covenant is Old Testament. New covenant is New Testament, right? So the new covenant, Christ comes. Christ becomes that permanent sacrifice, that once and for all sacrifice, for each one of us. So now we can go straight to the Father through Christ. We don't have to have somebody else doing that for us. We don't have to have the high priest that goes in and asks for the forgiveness of our sins and makes another sacrifice because the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was sufficient for all of us. And that's good news to us. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out. And when you step back and you take the overall picture, you're seeing that. You're seeing how everything has come together now through Christ. And he's saying, don't turn, don't go back, because Christ is our salvation. And salvation comes through him and him alone. So in light of this, in light of this great salvation, the writer of Hebrews encourages us now in this passage to run the race in such a way as to win the race. Run the race in a way that is holding on to the faith in Jesus Christ. Now at the end of uh, chapter 10 that we looked at last week, in verses 35 through 36, he says these words. He says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings. Patient endurance 
is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. So what He is saying at the end of chapter 10, He's saying, don't give up. You need patient endurance. Keep going. It is worth it if you will just keep on going. And then in verse 11, or chapter 11, he gives a picture of, he says, remember all these uh, saints from the old, all these great leaders from the old, these, these prophets, these leaders that God placed. Remember them. Look at their faith and how they continued on even when it was difficult for them. They did not give up and they kept on running. And so look at them as an example. And then we come to chapter 12. Look with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read through the first four verses. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. In this passage, we're given a picture of the Christian life being like a race that we are all running in. And when it comes to running races, there are two kinds of runners. There is the sprinter, which is a short distance runner. And then uh, there is the marathon runner that's in it for the long haul. They're out running uh, for the long time. Now, I, I know this will surprise you, but I'm a sprinter, okay? I, I'm going to run for like three yards, and then I'm going to pass out because I'm done, right? And some of you are with me. But some of you are marathon runners. Do we have any runners in here? Any? So you know what I'm talking about. The runners that run a marathon, here's the difference. A sprinter trains, and he gets his body built up where he can start out quick, he can come out with power, and he can run a short distance with great power. But a marathon runner trains totally different. And he prepares for the long run. You don't have to start out quick. You don't have to be strong off the block. You just have to have endurance. So if you take a sprinter that's going to run a marathon and he takes off like a sprinter would, it's not going to be very long into that marathon that he's going to be done. He may take the lead from the start and he may be way out ahead of everybody else, but after a little while, what's going to happen? He's going to start getting passed by these that have the endurance to keep going and keep going. And that's what he's saying. We need to run this race, but we need to have endurance when we're running the race. He's talking about a marathon and not a sprint. And he shares with us how to have endurance to finish the race well. How can I live a life of greater faith that will see me through so that I can reach the end and be rewarded with those great words, well done, well done. You finished well. So the first thing is this that I want you to see in this passage. If I'm going to run with endurance and I'm going to finish well, I need to run with a team. He starts out and he says, therefore. Therefore what? 
He says, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd or a huge crowd of witnesses. This is where you need to go back to chapter 11. You need to read through chapter 11 and you need to see all these that have gone before us that are now witnesses to us of how to run the race well. Who is this crowd of witnesses? Well, he names these witnesses and some of the names are very familiar to us. Some of them like Noah, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, and David. Those are just a few. There's several more in that passage. And what I find interesting about this list of each person that is mentioned that lived a life of faith that was worthy of making it into God's hall of faith, if you would, this great list of faith, each one of those, if you go back and look at their life, there's not one of them that was perfect. As a matter of fact, every one of them had flaws in their life, just like you and I. Each one of us have flaws, and sometimes we look at those flaws and say, how can I keep going? How can I keep moving? Look at who I am. And it's when we get to that point where we say, look at who I am. Look at the flaws that I have that I think God uses us the greatest because we recognize that we're not a perfect people, but He is a perfect God, and He loves us. And he has called us into this race that we are now in and that we are running. So each one of them had, had their own problems. They were not perfect by any means. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Noah had a drinking problem. Moses had an anger problem. Sarah had a doubting problem. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham turned out to be a liar. David was an adulterer and a murderer. All of these folks, all of these great heroes of the faith still had issues in their life. But here's what they all have in common is that they trusted God and they followed God. And when they fell in their sin, when they fell, they got back up and they kept going. The reality is we're not perfect. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. But we need to get back up and we need to keep our eyes focused on God. Notice what? Verses 38 and 39 of chapter 11 says. And verses 38, starting in 38, it says, They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. He said, because of their faith, they earned a good reputation. Not because of the good that they did, not because of the problems that they had, not because of all the stuff that they did as they followed God, but they earned a good reputation. Why? Because of their faith. Some versions say that the world was not worthy of them. They are examples to us of how to live a life of faith, and it's a reminder to us that our mistakes don't define us. Our successes in life don't define us. But what defines us when our life comes to an end is the faith that we had or we didn't have in Jesus Christ. That's what defines us. So he's saying, run with endurance. Run with great faith. Now I've heard this passage taught that this great cloud of witnesses is, is there. They're up in heaven and they're looking down somehow and they're cheering us on. They're saying, you go, go, don't quit. You keep going. We went, you go, you can do it. But let me just tell you, there's nothing in Scripture that backs that up. But what we do have is their testimony. 
what we do have is their stories that we can look at. And they are a witness to great faith. But I don't think they're the only witnesses that we have out there when we're running this race together. We have each other. We have the body of Christ, and that's why it's important for us to come together. We don't run this race alone. We need to encourage one another. We need to be the ones cheering each other on, saying, don't quit. Keep going. What about when somebody stumbles and falls? We need to be there to pick them up and to continue on in the race with them. And we go through this race together. But I also know that there's other witnesses out there There are those that aren't part of the faith, those that are not believers, and they're watching us. And I think they're watching us in a couple ways. One way is how we treat one another. Do we encourage one another or do we tear each other down? Do we lift each other up or do we tear them down? They're watching us to see how we go through difficulties in life. How do we handle the problems in life? What is our faith like? And so they are a witness to how we're running this race, and we have a great opportunity to be an example for them but as we run this race together I think it's important for us to remember what Ecclesiastes 4 9 says where it says two are better than one when we come together we are stronger we are better we can do greater things we can encourage one another and we can run this race well second thing is this if I'm going to run with endurance then I need to lighten the load I need to lighten the load. In 2002, there was a man by the name of Lloyd Scott. He showed up to run the London Marathon. And his time of running this marathon was 5 days, 8 hours, and 26 seconds. The average time to run this marathon was 4 hours. 5 days for him. What took so long? Well, let me show you this picture. Look up there if you would. He showed up to run this marathon in a full wetsuit with a metal helmet on him. Now, the reason he did this was he he was doing it as a fundraiser. He had leukemia, he'd overcome it, and now he was doing fundraiser. He kept doing this for several years. He might still be doing it, I don't know, but he did it. He ran in the New York City Marathon. But I love this picture because I think so many times in our Christian life, we have weight that is holding us down. We have things that are keeping us. Would you like to go run in this? Well, first of all, I don't like to run. But I certainly wouldn't want to go run in that. And here's what he said when he was uh, talking to a reporter about this. He said, the hardest part for me was getting started each morning. When I wake up, I have to assess my aches and pains to find out what hurts and how much. You cannot imagine how hard it is getting into the cold, wet diving suit with all your muscles still cold and having to think about what lies ahead. So, again, I think that's a lot of us in our Christian life that every day we get up and we assess what hurts and what doesn't. We think about our past. We think about all of our failures. And we put that old wet suit back on wet and it's hard to put on and it's heavy. And we just put all that weight back up on us. And we try to go through this Christian life in a way that God never intended for us to walk through it. He wants us to throw off all that weight. Notice what he, what he says. He says to strip off every weight that slows you down. Strip off every weight that slows you down. Well, what are some of these weights that slow us down? Well, first of all, I think there is the weight of sin. 
And he says that in here because he continues on. He says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What is the sin? Well, sin is anything in our life, any area of our life that we're disobedient to God in. Anything we're disobedient to God in becomes a sin. But that sin in our life, there's things, those temptations that we have, the weight of that sin holds us down and it slows us down and it keeps us from moving forward like God would have us to move forward. Let me remind you today that when Christ went to the cross, He died for every one of your sins, past, present, and future. And the Bible tells us that when we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all righteousness. What is He doing when He cleanses us? He is stripping the weight of that sin off of us. He is stripping it away, and He's throwing it away as far as the east is from the west. And He's not remembering it anymore. Why are we hanging on to it? I don't know about you. Anybody else have this problem? You have a hard time letting go of your own mistakes and failures. God says it's done. It's finished. Let it go. Strip it off. If you want to run this race with endurance, don't hang on to that sin anymore because it will trip you up. Be quick to confess that sin. Turn it over to Him. But what else do we have? Because He said also the sin, so that means that there's other things. How about this? Just the unnecessary things that we have in our life. That picture that I showed you, it was unnecessary for Him to put on a wetsuit and run a marathon. Wouldn't you agree? It's unnecessary for us to put on unnecessary things in our life and try to haul them around with us as we're running this race. Unnecessary things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But these are things that take our focus off of what God would have us to focus on. They take our focus off of His purpose and plan for our life. His direction for our life. Sometimes it, it just keeps us distracted in life where we are more focused on all these other things than we are focused on God. And if we're doing this, that's unnecessary. And he says, strip that off. Strip that off. Look to God. Keep your eyes on Him and what He would have. Which brings us to point number three. If I'm going to run with endurance, I need to keep a single-minded focus Let's continue on. He said we do this in verse 2 by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why do we keep our eyes on Jesus? He tells us because Jesus is the champion who initiates perfect and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So he says, if you want to run with endurance, you need to keep your eyes on Christ. Now, I don't know about you, and again, I'm, I'm not a runner, so don't think that I am by any means. I want you, if you ever see me running, you better join me, because there's a problem, all right? But if we're running in a race, isn't it best to keep your eyes on the finish line? Isn't it best to keep your... You may want to look around to see what dangers are around you or maybe if somebody's passing, but your focus needs to be a single-minded focus and it's the finish line. I, I don't understand marathon runners, by the way, because I, I've known some marathon runners and it's like they don't care if they win or not. They just want to cross the finish line. Now, if they win, that's even better. But they just want to, they just want to be able to say they ran that race and that they ran it well. 
That's the way our life in Christ is. That's the way our faith is. It's not about who gets across the finish line first. It's about how well we do in the run and do we get there. And he says, keep your eyes focused on Christ. And when we keep our eyes focused on Christ, it changes everything. What do we like to keep our eyes focused on? Usually other things. Again, those distractions that we have in life. Why do we need to remove them? Because that's where our focus will end up. Sometimes we place our focus on other people. Sometimes we we can even place our focus, and maybe that's what these folks were doing. They were focusing more on the Old Testament prophets and the leaders of the Old Testament than they were Christ. I don't know. But we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ because if you focus on anything other than Christ, you'll be let down. We see this in the church all the time. You know, we'll, we'll start focusing on a leader that's in the church or maybe a leader that's outside the church. And we focus on them and say, man, they're such a great person. How many of you have ever let, been let down by a leader that you focused on and they ended up failing? Anybody? Here, here's what happens. And I say this all the time. If you keep your eyes focused on me, it's not going to be very long at all. You'll be disappointed because I'm only human. You keep your eyes focused on any other leader, any other person, or any other thing. Eventually, you're going to be disappointed. The only one that will never disappoint is Jesus Christ. He is the one who will never let you down. He is the one who will never make a promise that he cannot keep. He is the one that will love you unconditionally, no matter what you end up doing in your life. He is the one to keep your focus on and to keep your eyes on. And as long as your eyes and focus are on Him, you will never be disappointed and you will be able to run with endurance. Now Hebrews 12 gives us one of the most glorious looks at Jesus in all of Scripture. And that's where he says it was Christ who who went to the cross for us. It is Him who perfects our faith. And it says, because of the joy that was before, waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the highest place of honor. I love how it says, because of the joy awaiting him. As I was studying this week, I, I began to really focus in on those words, because of the joy that was awaiting him. Was the joy that was awaiting him the cross? No, that wasn't the joy. That was shameful. That was painful. Was the joy that was waiting for him his being returned to heaven to his place of honor? Well, that would be joyful, but I I really don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think the joy that he is talking about is two things. The first thing is this. When Christ came, he said, I have come to do the will of my Father, and I'm going to do what pleases him. That was joy number one. But I think the big joy of what he endured was you. And me. Knowing that when he finished on the cross, when he died and when he rose again, that that was going to seal everything forever for those that would place their faith and trust in him. And I believe that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, then that brings such joy, the joy that was set before him, that he had us on his mind. When he went to the cross, knowing the joy that was going to come as people would love him and trust him because of who he is and because of what he done. Isn't that good news today that we are his joy? I I just love 
thinking about that. Matter of fact, yesterday when I was sitting here studying that, I started getting chills thinking of the joy that he has in us and when we come to him. So keep your eyes focused on him. And then lastly, to run with endurance means that we must finish strong. Christ is the greatest example of what it means to live a life of faith. And he finished his run strong. Look at what he says down in verse 4. He said, well, continuing in verse 3, he says, Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. He says, so look to Christ at what all he endured. Look at Christ and everything that he went through. And he completed his task here on this earth. And as he completed this task, you also are going to be able to complete yours. You're going to be able to run with endurance because of the help of the Holy Spirit that now lives in us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You can finish strong. Do you think Jesus ever felt like turning back? Now, church answered, oh no, Jesus would never think about turning back. I want you to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane with me if you would. It was before Jesus was arrested. He was in the garden praying and he was praying with great agony. And it was while he was praying with great agony, he's praying to the Father and he said, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. If there's any other way, let's turn around. Let's, let's do this differently. I don't want to go and suffer on the cross. And I believe that was the humanity side of Jesus that knew what was getting ready to happen, knew the pain that he was getting ready to face. And he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to keep going up this hill. But I'm so grateful that he said, if there's any other way. And then he stopped and he said, but not my will, but your will be done. And that is the greatest example for us in walking this life of faith. Of having a greater faith is stepping back and saying, God, it's not my will. It's your will. And I want to follow you every day of my life because of what you have done for me and the love you have for me and you gave your one and only son for me. I will follow you. Some days it's going to be hard. Some days it's going to be easy. I love the easy path. I love the walking downhill. But I also love the hard path because it's the hard path that makes us stronger. It's the hard path that gives us strength and helps us to see that there's even greater things than what we are used to or what we know. So, how can I have this kind of faith? How can I have a kind of faith that he talks about all through Hebrews? How can I have this relationship with Christ? Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us exactly how to do that. It says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. If you're going to have a great faith, if you're going to finish this life strong, which I hope everyone wants to finish life strong, if you want to receive the great reward that comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then it takes you placing your faith and trust in Him. Have you done that today? Do you know today that He is the Lord and Savior of your life? That's step number one. And then after that, the journey begins. And can I just tell you, it is the greatest journey that you could ever be on in life, following Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.
Today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit's speaking to your heart, then right where you're sitting, you can receive Him today. You can surrender your life to Him, and today your life can be changed through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you today for your wonderful love for us. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God, I thank you today that as we run this race, that we can run with great faith by keeping our eyes focused on him. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you continue to do. And God, I just thank you right now for your spirit that speaks to our hearts, that guides us, that directs us, that convicts us, that encourages us. And God, I pray that you would take your, your word today and God, it would accomplish what you've set forth for it to accomplish in each one of us. And I pray today, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that they turn to you and they say yes to you. God, we thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.